From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. I would also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Guarantee Commercial Title. Guarantee offers a new platform for the delivery of services based on the expertise and ingenuity of a visionary team of title professionals that identifies obstacles and creates solutions that result in a successful sale, construction, or financing of commercial real estate. To learn more, visit GuaranteeTitle.net. After a four-year stint in the U.S. Marines, Justin Rost struggled to make the transition to civilian life. Rost, an infantry rifleman who was deployed in 13 countries, tried his hand at real estate and other careers in his post-military life. Nothing seemed to fit. He said, quote, when I got back, it took me a long time to be comfortable walking around a mall or moving through my day without my regiment. I felt like something was missing all the time, end quote. He finally settled on a career in construction, specifically as a union sheet metal worker. Skills he learned in the military, such as the importance of good communication and punctuality, lent themselves well to the building industry. Two years ago, Ross landed his current position as director of Minnesota Helmets to Hard Hats, a national program dedicated to connecting active duty military members, veterans, National Guard, and reservists with construction training and career opportunities. In the following interview, Ross talks with reporter Brian Johnson about his journey from military to civilian work, the mission of Helmets to Hard Hats, the outlook for construction employment, and more. Pleased to be joined by Justin Rost. Uh, he is the director of the Minnesota Helmets to Hard Hats. And uh, Justin, thanks for joining us. Um, really uh, happy to have you with us here today. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Uh, yeah, I wonder if you could just start by talking a little bit about uh, your mission with Helmets to Hard Hats, um, how long you've been with the organization, and, and kind of uh, what uh, attracted you to that uh, opportunity. Sure. Um, so Helmets to Hard Hats is a national uh, program that's been around since 2000. I believe the funding came through in 2001. It really got traction in 2003. Um, and the goal there is to actively help um, transitioning military veterans of any era, reserve, guard units, um, find their way back into the workforce from their military career and into um, uh, good paying careers. Uh, we're not looking to put people in into, uh, you know, a job that they're going to have to change out in a couple of years. We want people to go into careers that they can see from beginning to end, make a life for themselves, raise families, and really secure their future. Um, and the way we do that is through the union building trades, the, uh, the uh, specifically the apprenticeship programs in those building trades. So we work specifically with them to try and help uh, these transitioning military find their way in through a structured environment and an organized uh, teaching environment where they can learn from the 
journeymen, journeywomen who've been there before them and learn all of the tricks of the trade and learn how to do it the best possible way. And uh, they're able to do that in a structured environment and uh, get a good livable wage starting right out of the gate. And that only goes up from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Here in Minnesota, uh, the state liked the national program so much. And the national program, I should say, also has a a partner organization called Helmets to Hard Hats in Canada also. Mm -hmm. So it covers all 50 states plus Canada. But here in the United States, Uh, We have regional managers at the national level, right? And those regional managers can have anywhere from five to 11 states to cover. Minnesota wanted their own representative here in the state. So through legislation, they created funding for the Helmets to Hard Hats program to start in Minnesota. So um, that was where my role came in. Um, I'm now in charge of uh, the Minnesota Helmets to Hard Hats program. Okay, and I understand that you are, are a military veteran yourself, served overseas, right. and t- tell us a little bit about that and sort of how um, how you ended up in the construction trades after uh, leaving the military. Sure. So I served in the United States Marine Corps in infantry from uh, 99 to 03. Uh, of course, I was in during 9-11. However, I never deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, we were forward deployed to be in charge of the Pacific while uh, the fighting was going on in the initial stages. Uh, and then after that, I was stop lost um, through the, you know, the national stop loss they did where uh, you weren't able to get out, but you weren't really able to sometimes deploy because they didn't know what your future really was. So we ended up um, training up people to go and fight, but not actually going to fight ourselves. Uh, That being said, um, I got out a few months past when I was supposed to, when uh, they lifted the stop loss and let us out. Um, And, and while we were in and we were stop lost, uh, a bunch of us that were getting ready to get out, we volunteered to try and extend our contracts to go to Afghanistan with the rest of our unit. But they said it was four years or nothing. (laughs) So uh, a lot of us that weren't ready to commit another four years decided that we would get out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got home and, it, you know, when, you got, when you're getting out of the military and you're coming out of a, what I would say is a pretty rigidly uh, structured environment and coming back to the civilian world, it can be very difficult, right? Um, mm-hmm. y- there's a lot of uncertainty financially. Um, you don't have the comrades that you've had for the last four years. You don't have that same family dynamic going that you do with the people you serve with. Uh, So there's a lot of uncertainty in your life when you come home. Um, And I'm no stranger to that. I saw it just as much as the people I talked to, you know, yesterday, today, um, where we all experienced that. Um, And that disruption in your, in your life and in the change of your life uh, that can lead to a lot of things, right? It can lead to some of that, um, you know, the mental weight that comes with it, financial weight and burdens. And so it was really a scramble when I got back to figure out what I was going to do with my life now that that chapter was over. Um, so I did what everyone told me to do, was go to college, right? So I went to college, used my GI Bill, um, was looking at into different jobs in sales and business and things like that, and um, ended up going into a career in real estate. So I went to school for real estate for a year, got certified in it, and um, became a real estate agent. 
Now, uh, if you're tracking the math on this, in 2003, I got out. In 2004, I started school. In 2005, I became a real estate agent. Um, So I did that part-time until it worked out that I was doing well enough to do full-time. And then the recession hit right after I got started in the career um, and really got going. And I started seeing the people who had trained me losing their cars, losing their houses, ending up further and further behind on their bills. And things were going all right for me, but not, not well enough that I felt like the secure future I wanted was there. So I immediately tried to find another job um, when I started seeing everyone else losing, losing money. And, um, and that worked out. Seeing the writing on the wall worked out for me. I ended up in a job with a union construction company. Um, they did aggregate recycling. Uh, rock crushing. And uh, I worked for them for around five years, but, you know, as, as great a people as they were and as uh, good organization as it was, it didn't, it didn't really fit for me. It wasn't really what I wanted. Um, I grew up in a blue collar family. My dad was a sheet metal worker. Um, While I was away in the Marine Corps, my brother became a sheet metal worker with local 10 here in uh, the twin cities. And uh, that was not what I wanted to do. I just, I didn't want to be just like them. I wanted to do my own thing, create my own path. Uh, But when it was all said and done, after years of kind of bouncing between this job and that, I uh, went back to school again, became an EMT, uh, also became a firefighter, volunteered on a volunteer fire department for six years. And, and during that time is really when I figured out, okay, maybe I should give uh, construction another go. And, um, and I landed in sheet metal. Thank you to my brother for that one. Um, I ended up in architectural sheet metal with Local 10, uh, became an apprentice, and worked my way from a pre-apprentice position all the way up to a journeyman position. Um, uh, went to the schooling, and uh, one of the nice things about sheet metal was I had already burned up my, uh, my GI Bill going to college a couple of different times and things like that. And... Uh, the, the way the apprenticeships work is they're like an earn-as-you-learn style of program, right? They're very low cost in comparison to a technical college or university. Um, and I was able to work, uh, work while I went to school for that. So with our particular schedule, I went to school one day every other week, and I had a few night classes sprinkled in uh, during the normal school year. And then I worked the rest of the time on the job with journeymen who were able to teach me the job while I was on site. Mm-hmm. And uh, the advantage to that was uh, a, a really good starting wage that turned into a great career wage. Um, and the education cost me $500 a year mm-hmm. um, instead of, you know, the thousands for credit that a traditional school gets. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, um, something that's not exclusive to local 10, but something that was nice about the sheet metal workers is the, uh, training, if you complete it, is paid for by the membership. So my education ended up being entirely free. They wrote me a check for the $500, the $2,500, which is five years of $500. Mm-hmm. They wrote me a check for $2,500 the day I got my, uh, my state pa- uh, test passed. Mm-hmm. So to become part of the licensed trade, so or specialty mm-hmm. trades. So yeah. uh, the education was ended up being free. Mm-hmm. And I really found that that was a home. Um, I knew that immediately when I got there, it had a lot of the same, um, a lot of the same, uh, uh, similarities to being in the military, right. Uh, the way, way we all talk to each other, 
you know, it was kind of, kind of a tough and rough and get dirty and get work done kind of a job atmosphere. And, and it, it really fit my personality and what I was used to from Marine Corps. And, and so I, I loved every minute of it. I worked uh, in sheet metal for about seven and a half to eight years. Um, and then uh, got a unique opportunity where one of our business agents said, Hey, you know, there's this group, they're looking for uh, somebody to run a, a program to help veterans get into the trades. We'd really like it if you wanted to go and take a look at it. And they knew I had a background with working in an office and, and working with people. And mm-hmm. obviously I like to talk. <laughs> and so uh, uh, they gave, they kind of harassed me a little bit and I was like, nah, 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 I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I really like what I do. So I don't, I don't really see any sense in moving around. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about it. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to be able to provide the same opportunity that came to me, um, to other veterans. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then I was willing to put in a resume to see you about getting the job. Uh, and interestingly enough, I did not get the job. Uh, they gave it to Joel Welter, who was a, he's a major, at least he was at the time, a major in the national guard, Mm -hmm. um, by all accounts, a uh, great human being with great life experience. He's also a union pipe fitter. So it fit very well for him to be in that position, but Joel was going to deploy with the national guard. And so they needed somebody to fill in that role while he was going to be gone. So they brought me on anyway. Hmm. Um, so Joel ran the program for roughly around three months before I took over. Um, I took over, he deployed, he was deployed for, I believe nine or 10 months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he came back, we'd shown just huge, huge success here. Uh, we had, um, in the very first year increased the program's efficiency, um, and overall numbers by over, uh, over 400%. Mm-hmm. So it was a giant jump. We, um, year prior to having somebody having boots on the ground here, they had signed up around 64 people and we had signed up over 400 or, uh, well over 300. I think we were close to 400 or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a giant leap. Um, we had a hundred and some people got, or we said, uh, something like 75 people got jobs that first year. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a major, um, major jump in the program here in Minnesota. And we were able to help a lot of veterans right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Can you hear me now? <laughs> oh yeah. I just lost you there for a second. Oh, it's all right. Uh, So Joel came back from deployment um, and was offered his dream job, which was to teach for the pipe fitters. And so rather than coming back to Helmet Star Hats, he decided to uh, stay doing that job um, with the pipe fitters. And so I got to keep my position and um, I've been doing it now for going on four years. We're still in the three-year mark, but okay. So here you are. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how some of the skills that people learn in the military are transferable to construction? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when somebody looks at construction, right, um, and they see the tools and the work they do and measuring and doing all these things, those are all skills that can be taught to you by the apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. But what can't be taught by the apprenticeship program are the things that you do learn in the military. There's the um, discipline, uh, the ability to show up on time, the punctuality. Um, there's a few things that 
that you learn in boot camp and basic training that you, you don't learn in the real world unless it's a hard lesson learned or unless you you were taught growing up that mm-hmm. accountability is huge right uh, taking ownership of what you're doing um, attention to detail um, everyone who ever uh, went through boot camp knows what it's like to have your first wall locker foot locker inspection and have your stuff thrown everywhere because it wasn't the way they wanted it and you learn very quickly to uh, to do things the way you were shown to do things right and that's a skill that you have to pick up through doing it um, in the trades that's an invaluable skill because the journeyman is going to show you how to do it your teachers are going to show you how to do it and it's your job to learn to do it to the level they want it done which is you know high expectation they want you to do a good job because the the reputation of the trades and the work that comes with the trades is judged by the work you do right so they want that high attention to detail they also want accountability they want your leadership um, Everyone who's ever been in the military was taught a certain level of, of um, leadership skill. Now, they may have taken that to a very high level, or it might be a very low level of, of just a few people you've been in charge of, but you've been in charge of people. You've, you've had leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the general orders, it teaches you to communicate with other people, to take orders from the person relieving you and pass them on to the person, um, next person in the chain. And, and that's very important, too. Uh, being able to listen to what the supervisor, the foreman has to say, and being able to convey that message as it was given to you to others is is super uh, important part of the job. Mm-hmm. And communication breakdown is is something that always, always is, is a work in progress with different companies, right? And mm-hmm. it's no different in construction. So having those skills right out of the gate are great. And the nice thing is, is the veterans have already shown their capacity to learn. Right. When I was in, when I went into the Marine Corps, I didn't know how to sew. I didn't know how to iron. I didn't know how to, you know, run crew served weapons. I didn't know how to do uh, military first aid, anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I learned it all in a very, very short time in a very, very high stress environment. If I could do it there, I could definitely do it in an apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so veterans have already shown their capability and yeah. the trades are, uh, you know, it's not lost on them what they get when they pick up a veteran for employment. They look forward to having all of those, those, what I'm going to call soft skills right now. And then they teach them the valuable skill trades that they need to have. So they're already getting a good employee. The only thing is they need to train them to do the job they want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the apprenticeship programs come in. Right. And just mm-hmm. kind of, you, you help to, uh, bring them together uh how, how do you reach out to the veterans and the and, and connect them with the resources so can you talk a little bit about that process and how you sure. bring people into the program yeah absolutely so the national program is uh funded by originally was funded through uh the same funding as the wounded warrior project received mm-hmm. um and then later on when that funding kind of got earmarked and kind of got uh taken away Wounded Warriors started making their own money, doing their own thing. And Helmets to Hard Hats got a, a boost from the North American Building Trades Unions, NAB2. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the international uh, heads of all the different trades, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they started funding the Helmets to Hard Hats program. Uh, here in the state, that trickle-down effect works for us, right? Because 
the way a union would or uh, the union trades would break down is they have their international head, which is kind of their capital, right? And then they have their local offices and their local offices could be, you know, uh, there might be one that covers three states, five states, or there might be six or seven of them in the same state, uh, all broke down into regions they control. The nice thing is, is with the National Helmets to Hard Hats program, working with the internationals means automatically that at the local level, I work with them. So we have a relationship right out of the gate, which is great Mm. because there is, again, that communication, right? We can talk about when they're accepting applications, how many people they're expecting to take, what their work outlook is for the next couple of years. So we know what to expect and what the, uh, what the demands of that trade will be. Mm-hmm. Now, being in tune with all that doesn't change how I handle it with a veteran. So we try and meet veterans through different ways. Uh, the national out, uh, program does outreach. They go to bases where active duty personnel are going to be transitioning out. I go to different events here, uh, yellow ribbon events. Um, uh, here in the Twin Cities, we have a, a huge and amazing uh, veteran uh, network, right? Uh, just a great little community of veteran networks. We have the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon programs. We have the Eagle Group. We have Battle Buddies. We have all of these different programs that you can meet and work with veterans and help them find the career they're looking for. So what we do is we partner with them, uh, including the Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans, Mm -hmm. DEED and Mindali and DAV, all of the different uh, state groups that help with employment um, and help with veteran employment. We also work with the VA, uh, both here and in St. Cloud. And then we also uh, just go to different job fairs, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So what we first try and do is we try and get out there. We try and meet veterans, um, whether they come to us through the national program or we meet them personally at different events. Uh, We talk to them about what their interests are. We don't ever push a trade on anyone. We let them decide what their career is going to be. And that's what makes this program work. Um, I would never want to force people into a trade that they're not interested in to start with, but we try and make sure that they understand the ins and outs of all the different trades Uh, what they can expect from those different trades. Um, And then we address their, their work needs uh, the way they want to address it. You know, if they need a job right now, then we give them a list of the trades they're hiring right now. If they need, you know, if they're interested in being an electrician or plumber, uh, sheet metal worker, whatever it may be, then we, we point them in that direction. We tell them we uh, first off, we, get them the website information because that's where you're going to find out the scope of the work you're talking about. Um, when you say roofer, most people just assume that means hauling shingles up onto a roof and, and that couldn't be further from the truth. The commercial roofing aspect of it is so such a wide range of uh, different styles of jobs. Um, it's, it's incredible. And, and you would never know that from hearing the word roofer right? Sheet metal. A lot of people don't even know what a sheet metal worker does. They don't know that it involves heating, ventilation, air conditioning, but also architectural sheet metal, Mm -hmm. which um, like I was on the project where we, we redid all the copper roofing on the Capitol building. Uh, So the big copper domes up there and everything else, we did all that. Mm. Uh, So it's first helping them understand the trade. Then it's helping them understand where they need to start to get into that trade. With some trades, they have open application dates that are hard lines. You you have to be there during this time to even get an application in. Others, they take applications all year. Some, you have to meet with contractors and you have to get a job through a contractor to be taken in. 
Um, and then some trades like the Carpenters uh, sign up through Helmets to Hard Hats. They send you to their veteran rep uh, and then the veteran rep tries to put you into a job immediately. So we have a lot of different avenues to cover and a ton of information because when you're talking about different trades, you're also talking about each one of their locals and each one of their locals may have different application dates, may have different uh, prerequisites of what they're looking for or what you need to do to get in. So we try and help break down all that information. And then uh, based on the veterans geographic location in the state, we try and give them the best information possible for their area uh, to help them get a job as quickly as possible with them. Hmm. Great. And, and what is the outlook now for construction employment? You're always hearing that contractors are looking for workers. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what is your, what are your thoughts on that? So going into the time of year we're talking about being December right now, um, you know, we do slow down in the winter. Uh, construction does slow down. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't start your application process now for some of these trades though. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next two-year outlook, which is what construction always does, they do a two-year outlook is very good. Um, there's not a lot of uncertainty in the next two years because they already have contracts. They already have bids out and accepted mm-hmm. jobs. So We know that moving forward for the next two years, the job outlook looks very good. That being said, some trades are harder to get into. Some trades have more people than others. So it's it's just a matter of which trade are they interested in and how can we best put the best foot forward to try and get those individuals into the trade. Hmm. Okay. And you said you're seeing, uh, you've seen a lot of growth here in the Minnesota program in the last couple of years. Um, Yes. Well, the last few years. (laughs) <laughs> last few years have been kind of a put a little asterisk next to it because of the pandemic. We oh. haven't been able to meet obviously in person with a lot of different groups over. Um, there was a period of time where uh, we weren't allowed to meet with people in person and things like that. So mm-hmm. oh, we did have a hiccup when we went into that and we had to relearn how to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say half of our numbers come from meeting individuals in person. The other half come from people who hear about the program through other people. Um, So, you know, it definitely, we took a hit by not being able to get out there and do what we normally do, which is explain to people in person what the trades have to offer. Now we're starting to see that open back up and that's great because that, that adds a lot of outreach that we can do, but we've been, like I said, very fortunate to work with people like MACV and Voc. Uh, vocational rehab of the VAs and their employment officers and things like that, that when people mention construction in, in a veteran community, more often than not, they're going to say, okay, you should touch base with Justin. So that's been really, really helpful. And that's what we've been trying to do is just uh, insert helmets to hard hats as a placeholder for if you were looking for an apprenticeship position, if you're looking for a construction job, start here. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll give you the best options that are available uh, for education, for, uh, you know, work, uh, for hourly wage, for benefits. These are all going to be your, uh, the highest numbers you're going to find um, in the Twin Cities metro area and in the state are going to be through the union apprenticeship programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, each one of the apprenticeship programs is also a, a federally accredited programs. So you can use your existing GI benefits. You can use the Minnesota state GI bill uh, to help compensate for your, uh, the lower wage that you start at 
as an apprentice, which is still usually over $20 an hour. So um, there are a lot of benefits to coming into a career in the trades. Well, I know the trades offer some great opportunities. You know, it's not for everyone, however. Uh, do you do you see that veterans are tend to stay in the industry longer than maybe someone else would just coming off the street just because of some of the things we talked about? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, um, I don't want to speak for all veterans on that, of course, but I think the veterans, once they find a career that they're happy with and, and that fits their lifestyle and by fits their lifestyle, I mean, I don't mean coming home dirty every day. I don't, you know, but they can raise their family. They can, you know, own a home. They can own the vehicle they want, whether that be a truck or a sports car or whatever. They can, they can afford to do that, have their boat, go ice fishing, do what they want to do on their weekends and still make that livable wage that they were looking for. I think that's your, that's kind of your incentive to stay in a position, right? Um, Veterans are fiercely loyal to employers who treat them well too. And most veterans I meet in the construction industry love the place they work because they're treated respectfully. They're treated well. They like being there. Um, You know, whether, and that, that goes for any business. That's not just a construction thing, right? That, um, the, a veteran will stick around and endure small hardships and deal with quite a bit as long as they think the company has their back, right? As long as they feel supported by that, by that uh, employer. And uh, the construction trades are a great place for veterans because they do admire veterans and they do respect everything that they've given to be where they are today. Hmm. Yeah, do you find that some of them start out working in the trades and then maybe go into business for themselves at some point or? Yeah, I think, I think that happens quite often. Um, you know, I usually hear from veterans that, Hey, I want to get into the trades, but eventually I'd like to own my own company mm. and that's fine. You know, um, there's, there's, that's, that's kind of the goal, right. Is to be independent, financially independent. Um, so what we do is we just try and get them, to get that, that best version of the experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes they'll go on and they'll either start a union uh, construction company, or they may transition out of that position into a management position, supervisory mm-hmm. position, things like that. And that's what we want. Um, we need the one thing that constru- the construction industry needs very badly right now is the next generation of leadership. Uh, they need those skilled workers that are going to take over and be the next generation of supervisors, foremen, uh, planners, estimators, things like that. And that's where we hope to draw from the veteran community. Mm-hmm. Well, you see on some of these um, public projects, some of the bigger projects and even smaller ones, there are sometimes uh, incentives to uh, mm-hmm. use veteran-owned businesses. So yep. kind of, and know, in some states, some opportunities there. <laughs> Right. Well, and in some states, um, they also are starting to include veterans as a, uh, a specific employment number. You know, they want to see 20% or 10% or 15%, whatever it may be, um, on uh, jobs that, re- that receive federal funding uh, or something like that. So uh, when they receive that funding, uh, part, of the, part of the deal is, you know, you have to meet these specific uh, hiring requirements and veterans are now becoming part of that in different places. Great. Well, Justin, you've been generous with your time. Uh, any other thoughts before I let you go or, um, 
Um, no, just another thing is that, um, you know, obviously mental health of veterans is an extremely mm. important topic to discuss. Mm. And, yeah. um, we've been working with a lot of different groups here in the twin cities, um, the twin city suicide prevention coalition being one of them. And they are really changing the way businesses can look at veterans when they come back, not in a, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, helping them understand what they may have been through, helping them understand the familial group they had come from. And the structure they had come from back to a civilian world can put a lot of mental stress on, um, on veterans. And so we're also working with those groups to try and implement different programs and, and come out with different resources of information that we can get to employers. And all of the, all of the apprenticeship programs have already received the helmets to hard hats, uh, version of this, but now we're going to come out with a new one. That's going to be, uh, a little bit more, um, in depth into what employers can actually do to help transitioning military uh, personnel come back into the workforce and understand where their role actually is in, in that workforce. So, um, you know, one thing I would like to hit on before uh, we go is, you know, if, if you are a veteran, if you know a veteran who is struggling, uh, you know, we need to get them to the crisis line on the VA. Uh, we need to understand that there are needs that they may have that civilians don't understand. And that's where we need to get them to the VA crisis line and others who can help them out. Well, thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate it. It's a very, very important topic. So I'm glad you brought that up. But uh, thank you again for your time, Justin. And uh, let's stay in touch and um, hopefully we can uh, chat again sometime. Absolutely. That would be great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce, or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.